You're listening to You Play A What, a podcast by a musician for musicians. My name is Vincent and I play the euphonium. Join me as I sit down with successful musicians to talk about their specialization, inspirations, and career developments. Hello, and thank you for tuning in to episode 32 of You Play A What. I believe for many of my friends and colleagues, work is kicking into gear now, and I hope that all of you have a fulfilling 2021. So, of course, from a few weeks ago, I did an episode on the pros and cons of having a career as a freelancer. For this episode, we are going to talk about someone that chose a career path as a musician and also civil servant. He's a military musician and the principal bassist at the Singapore Armed Forces Band, and he's, of course, Sanjay. Sanjay and I entered the music course in NAFA at the same time, and I believe he had been in service since graduating from our diploma course. So on this episode, we spoke about the work he does in the SAF band, the SAF band's effort to continue to engage the public in these difficult circumstances, tips for student bassists, and of course, his very own musical journey. Thank you for tuning in, and I really do appreciate all your support. Enough from me now. Please enjoy this episode of You Play A What with Sanjay. My guest today plays an instrument that is said to be felt more than it's heard. He's yet another longtime friend that I've met more than 10 years ago when we were both students. The nature of his work has allowed him to represent Singapore at multiple international events, and he is no stranger to the Singapore music scene. Welcome to the show, Sanche. How are you doing today? Okay, hello, Vincent. Thanks for having me on your show. Looking forward to a fun interview. Yeah, uh, absolute pleasure to have you. Uh, thank you for coming on to the podcast to speak to me. Uh, and I look forward to catching up with you uh, over the next hour or so. Uh, but first of all, uh, I believe congratulations are in order because you and your lovely wife are expecting a second child, I believe. Wow, Vincent, you are very updated. <laughs> yes, yes, we are. Yeah, I tried and, to. And she's yeah. due in uh, February. I see, I see. Not too long now, not too long now. Uh, so that, yeah. that is fantastic news. Uh, what is the age gap between uh, the incoming uh, newborn and your current ah, they child? They will be about almost three years. La. Almost three years. Almost three years. Just a little bit under? or Just a little bit under. I see. Uh, the I first see. one was in May, the second one about Feb. So yeah, about Right, that. right. Okay. So uh, the, the least you could do uh, is to give them the choice to pick which football team to support. And just so you know, buying uh, them that, Man United that jersey. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. You know, yeah. you know, you know uh, the, the first kid, right, Tierra? Mm, yeah. So my friend bought her a United jersey when she was born. Yeah. Uh, but come on. We forgot about it. We, we know that we that friend didn't exist. It's you, isn't it? No. You no, 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 no. <laughs> there, there's no friend no, here. Friend. <laughs> right, right. No, it's a friend. And, but now, but now, okay. Tierra has an adult, uh, okay, not adult, a bigger kid's size jersey. Mm. And so now the kid can use that old one and then we're going to take a family picture with all the United jersey, which I'm sure you will love. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. I mean, I, I, was, <laughs> uh, I mean, I, I thought like you're going to you're gonna pick a poison, right? It's either going to be like, you stay red, you change the crest to Liverpool or you you know? Oh, <laughs> no, 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 no. I mean, with the amount of injuries, uh, uh, no. I, I don't know. Man. <laughs> Liverpool yeah, yeah, nowadays. Yeah. 
Yeah, I mean, it's all... One hit, one Yeah, but I, I mean, it, come on, you know, we're, we're not that far apart <laughs> now, right? Yeah, but but it's a it's a crazy time nowadays, right? When we watch football as well. Um, I don't know if yes. you've caught any of the, the televised games. Uh, the stands are completely empty and it's really, really weird. It feels, yes. it feels like some sort of like training session, a slightly more serious training sessions. I don't know. Yeah. yeah. So it, it, especially when the players celebrate, you know? Yeah. Like yeah. They, they, it, it looks like they're running to the crowd or they, they sometimes they are lost, you know, they like don't know where to go. And celebrate. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Exactly. And then, yeah, so it's it's interesting, right, to watch like football nowadays. Yes. Of course I watch. So, right. And anyway, now let's uh, get things rolling over here. And why don't you just start off by telling us what is the instrument that you play? Of course, I play the string bass, as you know, from our days in NAFA. Indeed. Right? We, Indeed. We, we met in school in 2008, right? Yes, yes, that's right. Yes, and, and that, that, that was the first encounter, la, right, of, of us. And we played together in the band, you know. Mm. And I think from, from, from then, you also realized that uh, I, I played the bass guitar too. Yes. And I'm yes. not sure if I showed my violin skills in school, but yes, I played the violin too. Yeah, yeah. Uh, so I think I probably saw you play the violin maybe very Once very earlier on yeah, yeah yeah really really early on yes. like yes, me, yes, if, yes. maybe even before we like started proper uh, yes. or in the first semester or something like that yes first yeah. semester i was still you know like fiddling around and then uh, after a while i realized I, I think i should just stick to the string bass i see fiddling on the yeah. fiddle interesting yeah. nice <laughs> <laughs> yes fiddling around literally <laughs> right yeah so, um, of course, uh, you are a very uh, well-known double bassist here in Singapore. Uh, not too many of you guys, uh, to be honest, around the country. A uh, couple more than Euphonium still, I believe, but yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I'm not too sure, but I think it's almost yeah. the same. <laughs> yeah. So, uh, of course, a big part of what you do every day, uh, you serve in the Singapore Armed Forces uh, band, and you are the principal string bassist there. So why don't you tell us a little bit about um, the organization that you work for and what do you actually do there? Yes, I'm more, I'm more than happy to share with you, Vincent. So basically, um, the SF band is the premier band of the SAF. So our main roles is to serve all major presidential and uh, straight state ceremonies and functions. So we are also the SAF's musical ambassador. And the band has also performed in uh, several overseas military tattoos over the years. We have also done our very own uh, concerts locally. We perform regularly uh, in our In Harmony series and Chamber Repertory concert series. Mm. And these are usually to reach out to the population. So this is our main role. Mm. Yeah. In terms of your role as a bassist, I, I suppose, yeah. you know, if you are out uh, in a military tattoo... Uh, you are not uh, quite needed to carry your base around and do That's the parade. That's not wrong. That's not yeah. wrong. <laughs> yeah. So uh, in in terms of like um, the the band, because it serves so many different different functions and it's so flexible yeah. and uh, diverse in the concerts and shows that they put up. What? Uh, yeah. How does your role differ from these different groups? So, so as, as you mentioned, like on parades, obviously, I, I, I can't play the double bass. If not, there will be some uh, interesting mechanics, you know, pushing <laughs> me around. Yeah. So on parades, I actually uh, double up as a bass drummer or cymbalist, mm. right? So uh, it's quite an important role, you know, because the bass drummer actually controls when the parade moves or stops. Yeah. So it's quite interesting. Mm. And the cymbalist, right, yeah. is the loudest. You know, the moment you crash something wrong or something, is you are going to be the attention you know, <laughs> the attention is going to be on you yeah for right? sure so I, I really enjoy these roles on parade la. I think it serves a almost equal purpose to a double bass in the band or even in an orchestra you know it's like the, the heartbeat of the orchestra or, or the band on parade mm. yeah yeah and and with this experience right I also think that percussionist deserves a lot more credit than what they usually receive you know as, as it's not an easy skill and requires a lot of practice Mm, mm. much more nuanced than we imagine right <laughs> for sure for sure it's definitely not just hitting the drums for yeah, sure yeah. so in a normal setting when the band exists uh, on stage in a concert hall setting then your role is a little bit kind of more direct as yes. uh, a bassist and uh, apart from that 
do you also, uh, you mentioned something about like electric bass as well. So in what sort of situation would you be asked to um, trade up your instrument for the electric bass? Yeah, so so for example, uh, in pop concerts, whenever we, we do pop songs, for example, uh, the Michael Jackson series, or the, you know, the Japanese graffiti, or even when we work with singers, usually the, the bass guitar is involved, right? Mm. So it's to give the extra bite to the band, which is quite cool, lah. Yeah. Right. And also, we we have a combo band, the SF combo band, where we do uh, a variety of stuff, uh, from jazz to blues to uh, local delights, lah, if you call it. Right. You right. Know, we we a bit more versatile but smaller group. Mm. Yeah. So that's where I also play the bass guitar. I see. I see. So yeah, yeah it's it's quite interesting, isn't it? So your role really uh, at the and this is when we're just talking about the playing front here is quite yeah. diverse. You know, you yes. you make it a, a point to um, not just be like, you know, oh, I play the bass and then this is all I'm yes. going to do. And then, but you are, yeah. yeah, you adapt and then you try to be part of uh, everything that the organization is going to um, be doing and all that kind of stuff. Correct. Yeah. And also, you know, I mentioned that I played percussion on the parade, right? Mm. I was actually also very uh, honored to have an opportunity to perform with the SAF percussion on Zom mm. during one of our chamber concerts. That right. was an eye-opener, man, I tell you. Mm. I, I really felt the, the nerves for the first time in a very long time during that concert. Right, right. Like uh, yeah. performing a different instrument. I, it, I was actually playing the taiko drum and I think some small accessory instrument, but that was enough to get me uh, nervous and all. Mm. So it was interesting, it was interesting. Right, right. Yeah, because I, I suppose the functions of your playing should differ when it's in a sort of parade setting versus when it's in a yes. concert in a, and in a percussion ensemble, isn't it? Because, exactly, exactly. Yeah, and uh, all of a sudden, because I th- I guess in a, in a parade, I, I might be wrong, but tone and things like that don't really matter. What matters is yeah. uh, the clarity, the consistency of the tempo and all this kind of stuff. Uh, For sure. Yeah, but when it's a proper percussion ensemble concert, everything that you do is... Yeah, much more, uh, like we said, nuance. Uh, you, we care about yes. tone, not just in time, but the right type of sound, what type of sound to produce and all this kind of stuff. Yes, absolutely. Yeah. Was it like difficult for you to tell yourself that, well, oh, this is what I'm going to do now because my primary instrument isn't featured inside the, the parade band? Yeah, I mean, exactly. It's because of that, you know, like... like uh, the fact that we are not featured on parade. So, I mean, like, why not, you know, pick up secondary skills and I don't lose anything. And in fact, I gain much more. Mm-hmm. And speaking of secondary skills, uh, I believe that members of the SAF band is also yeah. at times required to take up different appointments that is not related to playing the instrument or related to performance per se. So do you have any of these roles? And or and if you do, what are the things that you do apart from being the principal bassist in the band? Okay, that, that's a great question. So uh, besides my primary role, which is a musician, I also have a couple of secondary appointments. So the, the first is uh, the band's events manager. Right, mm. so uh, I'm, 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 I actually handle like uh, external organizations. We plan concerts, and this this experience, right, in this role for all, I, I've done it for almost maybe five to no, now it's twenty twenty. Oh my god, it's so long. Mm. Uh, almost seven years, almost seven years already. Right, right. right. It has given me so much uh, valuable management skills. You know, like uh, through liaising and building relationship with like uh, organization like Esplanade. Mm. Uh, Victoria Concert Hall and in the past even uh, Singapore Conference Hall mm. right so I also get to work very closely with uh, our director of music which in the release our boss our yeah. bosses lah, right yeah. to put up all the public concerts that I mentioned earlier like In Harmony Chamber Repertory and so on even mm. the family concerts right mm. yeah th- th- so this is the first one mm-hmm. and then uh, I also uh, serve as the ad- adjunct instructor of the basic military musician course Right, so this is the course whereby new NSFs come into the band, then they get trained for about eight to nine weeks, and then they get posted out into the ceremonial band. Mm. Yeah, right. So I've, I've, I've this role I've done for about let's say I think it's almost two and a half years, two and a, slightly more than two years. Right. So with the math, right, you would realize that 
actually the current batch of NSF, right, in the ceremonial band, yeah. have all gone through some form of training with me. I see. And I'm really proud of that. Mm, yeah. And you know, yeah. what are some of the, what are your personal sort of motivations to want to take up these roles? Uh, is is it something about say uh, teaching and educating these new recruits that is being posted to the band that interests you and is it like this sort of liaising work with other organizations that interests you i mean for for events manager right um i i chose the role at the start because you know i mean early on in my career in the saf band Mm. people were mentioning about how uh, outspoken i was uh have a sort of a knack of dealing with uh, other people, like, you know, uh, t- to a certain extent, right? So right. I was like, hey, maybe I can use this skill and, you know, help out in the events department, like, you know, mm. I'll get to talk to other people. I can uh, get through some uh, plans across, you know. I-, I think my strengths will be used well. Mm. And I think it-, it it's the best decision for me at the start because until today, I'm still doing the role and I've never enjoyed it more. You know, mm. it always gets more exciting. You 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 put in new ideas to the to the department. I think I think it's very fulfilling for me, la. Right. Like I'm doing like something within my strength, and I and I love it, la. Mm. And as for the adjunct instructor, right? I I'm someone that loves teaching. Of course, uh, teaching double bass specifically, mm. right? But I also realized that uh, this set of skill that that uh, that I enjoy, I love doing, right? Which is teaching. I realized I can actually help the new batch of uh, musicians that come in. Because th- there were period of time that uh, I felt that, hey, why is this not being done? Or, you know, could, could something be better in this department? Or what, what are some things that NSS can benefit from? Mm. So through all this thought process, right, I realized, hey, why not? I, I do the job myself, right? Mm, so I actually I went to ask if, if I could join the department. And of course, it, it took some time because there were people already doing it. But when I was finally appointed, I think I really enjoyed the experience and thankful for the opportunity la, because I love teaching and we, we can't really teach outside that much. So why not teach at work? Yeah, fair right? enough. Fair so enough. That's, that's perfect for me. Mm, yeah. Okay. So uh, you also mentioned things like the in, in Harmony concerts and the Chamber Repertory concerts that um, yeah. the band usually uh, puts up. Uh, I believe, a couple of times in a year, right? Yeah. Uh, so, of course, uh, part of it is to uh, engage with the community, to give back to the community in a yeah. in a, a mode of a performance presentation kind of thing, yes. right? But, yeah. uh, of course, right now, we are, uh, we are unable, uh, or you guys are unable to do it because of the pandemic, because of the safe distancing measures and all this kind of yeah, stuff. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So, uh, wh- why don't you uh, share with us how the organization has uh, tried to innovate to continue to engage with the public with your different projects? Okay, so, so another great question, you know, like uh, as with all music groups, uh, even locally, right? Mm. And, and overseas too, many many of us have been moving online, right? Mm. And this, this uh, pandemic has actually equipped us with so much uh, media skills, right? like uh, editing skills, video production, sound production, and, and so on. Like, someone that doesn't really know all this suddenly can do this really well, mm. right? And, yeah. and this is no different for the SAF band, mm. right? So ever since we, we went into, not uh, phase one, right? If I call it, yeah, not lockdown, yeah. phase one. Ever since we went into phase one, uh, the band has been looking to adapt. And, and of course, sadly, we had to cancel our concerts in May, July, you know, and, and so on, and August, all our big concerts were cancelled. So, yeah. of course, we, we were thinking of ways, you know, how we can still continue to reach out to the public, right? So, we started with a small idea. Mm. We started with a Hari Raya video uh, in May this year. Mm. I'm not sure if you call it, but that was a small idea from a, from the publicity team, you know, to why not uh, send our greetings to our Muslim friends with a Hari Raya video. And... Yeah. That start that planted the seed for bigger things to come later, like mm. in the months to come, right? So it, that was really fun, you know. That Harira video, we all of us were at home. We were we were at, on stay home notice, right? So we all did recordings from our home. We started to Google a lot, learning how to set up mics. 
how to frame our videos, how to get the best audio quality. Wow, that was very interesting, yeah. right? And mm. even the the for for the band, the musicians, right? We we started to have work from home assignments where we we all recorded uh, our parts in the march. The the popular bandstand, I I think you should know it. Yeah, right? our yeah. our official song, right? Mm-hmm. Bandstand, mm-hmm. Yep. and we all recorded our own parts, and it was put together into this uh, uh video where we where we used it uh to thank the frontline workers lah. So that that was a great experience, and mm-hmm. all this together, right, actually built up to our very very popular project which was our projects with uh, Jeremy Montero and Elaine Chan in August earlier this year mm. right that was uh, that was the biggest project that we had that was online and we we were really honored to have the opportunity la, to work with this uh, well-known local artist right the two of them mm. and we we came up with new renditions of the popular national day songs right yeah including the 30th anniversary remake of one people, one nation, one Singapore. Mm-hmm. And what made this even more unique, right, was we actually brought back the original singers from the 1990 production. Ah, I see. Yeah, they were that, that was really inspiring, right? So, like, working with this uh, Jeremy Montero and Elaine, right, we were really inspired by their artistry, their generosity, and they were so willing all the while, right, to share about their knowledge and experience. Mm. And all of us really uh, took away a lot. Lah, yeah. Right? And so, like, leading back to the Hari Raya video and uh, even the bandstand video, so we, we had some skills where we, we, we learned how to record videos at home uh, and all this, right? So these videos with Jeremy and Elaine, most of it were recorded either from home or from our studio separately, mm. right? So we have a studio in Cam and... Yeah. So it was really fantastic to see all come together like a professional production, right? With the video editing and all. It was really a great experience uh, for mm. us. Right. So now, uh, apart from, of course, you are featured in the, the videos as a double basis. Apart from being a performer in the videos, do you, uh, what other roles did you play in this particular production? Or is it like if you are playing, then you are not involved in so much of the back-end work? Yeah, so so like exactly what you mentioned. So because I was playing for most of the projects, right? So I, I wasn't involved much in the back-end production. But because we were in a team, right? The publicity team helps to manage this project. So I, I, I'm always aware of what is going on, like from planning the rehearsals, from breaking down the scores with uh, Jeremy. Jeremy was really kind to, you know, come down and uh, do the score planning with us, the arrangement, mm. you know, like uh, what we should do here, what we should do there. Even Elaine came down, you know, to personally uh, uh, practice with our vocalist, you know, gave her so much tips and and all this happened, right? So I was aware of the schedule mm. and also the videos mm. were edited internally. So there was mm. a lot of planning process and even, even I managed to give some input because we were in the same team, right? So about how the direction should go, uh, what what we should uh, do in the different clips, right? To, to mm. really engage the audience and who to feature when and so on. So it was really interesting process. Lah. And watching their live recording, right? That was an eye to behold, right? So mm. you, when you see all these original singers come back, right? I mean, obviously they are not as young as they were in 1990, right? But they were still so uh, youthful and uh, energized and talking about their days in 1990 like it just happened yesterday, right? Mm. So it was really nice to see all these people you know, like talking and feeling so uh, youthful and so on, you know? Right, right. Yeah, so that, yeah, that's some uh, pretty uh, exciting and interesting. Yeah. Uh, and I'm sure, uh, I mean, I've watched some of these videos and they are of like really, really good quality and we should all check yeah. them out. I think they're all on the SAF Band's Facebook page, isn't it? Yes, yeah. yes, that's right. So, that right. yeah, I'll provide the link onto the show description. So, anyone who is curious about what we have been talking about uh, can just hop on there and then check out all these fantastic videos done by the SAF Band. Right, now we move on to this other sort of uh, function uh, for the SAF Band. So, we've spoke about a little bit of what uh, the band does for the uh, Singapore uh, public and the community. Now let's talk about some of your overseas travels and experiences. So I believe that most military bands usually come together in events called the military tattoos. 
So yeah, that's right. yeah. So uh, could you just tell us a little bit more about what this sort of uh, military tattoo is about, and what are some of your experiences traveling around the world with the SF pen? So uh, for for those of you out there who don't know what a military tattoo is, it actually came from the Dutch phrase "do then tap toe," right? Which translates to "turn off the tap." This signal was actually given by drummers and trumpeters, all trumpeters to stop innkeepers from serving beer so that soldiers could be recalled back to their barracks. Ah, However, today, right? Ah, so nowadays, it's a last right, call, term, last call at the bar. Ah, right. Correct, last call, correct, yeah. correct, correct. So okay. nowadays, in modern days, this term is used to describe music performances and displays by a military group. Mm. Ah, so for those of you out there who don't know why it's a military tattoo, now you know why it's a military tattoo. Okay. Over the years... I think from the time I entered in about 2012, I've been to about wow, 10, I think God, I think maybe 9 to 10, Russia, mm. uh, Malmo, Basel, Edinburgh, Virginia, China, Japan. That's, that's a lot. That's mm. a lot. I think that's at least 9. Right. About 9. Right? Mm. So, it was really interesting uh, experience in each country, right? Mm. But some of the more memorable tattoos that uh, I went to was like the Malmo, tattoo in 2013 and also the Basel and Edinburgh tattoo in 2014. Right. And why? Because uh, I had the opportunity to be part of the choreography team mm. alongside uh, some of the super experienced colleagues. Uh. Mm. So that, that was really fun because uh, when I was part of the choreography team, it really opened my eyes to the amount of work that goes on behind the scene, right? Mm. Usually in, in my first deployment to Moscow, all the fun was, you know, like... Uh, having fun with your friend, the focus was on like, uh, ensuring your music is good, you know, every show must be nice, enjoy the audience clapping and so on, right? Enjoy the good food, of course, mm. right? But in the choreography team, you know, the brainstorming for ideas, arranging the music, you know, how to uh, represent our multicultural nation and also how to incorporate the super talented MDC I think you know MDC, right? Yeah. Music and Drama Company. Yes. And also we had the Silent Precision Drill Squad, SPDS, right? In mm. short, in our show, the, the guys that play with the rifle, yeah. you know, and the super sharp drills. So we, we had them together. And when you were in the team, you had to find ways to incorporate all of this together. And that was mm. really uh, not easy, lah, right? It, it was as good as uh, being a percussionist in the chamber concert, you know, that kind of pressure. Mm. Yeah, right. so, but, but it, was all, it was all it was all nice. So in yeah. terms of this uh, idea of like putting up a choreography, uh, of course, mm. it's absolutely uh, important that we present to the world a uh, representation of uh, Singapore, isn't it? So that... Uh, that sure. Yeah. So I guess the, the real challenge for you must be sort of striking the balance between something that is more sort of traditionally accepted in a military tattoo and to push it to an extent... Mm. Uh, to uh, push it in a way that it incorporates this sort of more uh, local and Singaporean elements into it, right? Is, is yes, that the biggest correct. challenge for the team? Yes, because I mean, when, when you are you are at all these tattoos, right? And then there are bands that is so uh, traditional, they really focus on the precision of the drills. They are so sharp. But what actually catches the eye in these kind of shows is their precision and their drills and their footwork and their garangness, like they call it, right? Mm, mm. The how garang they look, right? So they, they have this element to their show. And then on the other end, we have uh, groups coming in that really focus on the the fun elements. You know, they, they have the crackers, they have the dancers. Uh, they focus a lot on pop songs, right? They uh, do a lot of pop songs. They do a lot of songs that represent their country, right? And so on. So what we tried to do was we tried to get a fusion of this right? Mm. To, to, to have a nice balance of both to represent the country, like I mentioned. To, to oh, One of our most interesting part of our show, right, is to actually have a song from the host country I where see. the band will actually stop playing and then we will be singing. And then when we actually sing this song from the country, right, mm. it's amazing when the audience start to sing back. Uh. That, that is an what wow, You really will have stand. Especially mm. when the whole stadium or arena starts to erupt, ah, wow, that feeling is amazing, man. Mm. Yeah, and yeah. I think definitely the the local people to of whichever country you are visiting, they do appreciate uh, gestures like that. 
right? Yes, they yeah. love it. And, uh, some of them are actually interviewed after shows and it's nice to know that our show is always at the top few lah, after mm. each of the tattoos. So it's a very nice feeling. Yeah. Yeah. It, yeah, it's etched onto other people's mind quite clearly because of yes. this very special moment, isn't it? Yes. Yeah. Right. So uh, what are some of your personal uh, favourites uh, tattoos that you've been part of since joining the force? So uh, besides those that I mentioned earlier, right, the Malmo, Buzzer, Edinburgh, be- only because I'm in the choreography team, that's why it was unique. A uh, recent like uh, standout was the Virginia International Tattoo, right? The stakes were really high at that one as we were the only Asian country invited, right? So mm. although I wasn't in the choreography team in at that point of time, right? But right. just feeling the pressure from around you, you know, all eyes are on you for being the only Asian band. You know, like, I think all of us were really on our toes all the time, you know, like really uh, setting the standards, make sure nothing goes wrong. And of course, doing our best to represent the continent and not the country. Mm. Right? So mm. that, that was that was one. And also, um, if you talk about interesting tattoo, I would say the Japan one was an eye-opener because... Um, after our shows, right, we, we were we were doing the show at the Budokan, right? And then after the show, we actually, a few of us got to interact with the audience. And they were so nice, you know, we, we felt like a J-pop group, you know, J-pop right. come out of the stadium. <laughs> wow, I tell you, the long queue to take photo with us is just amazing. Right. And then all of them are so nice. And then they are like, you know, like, they, are, they are very friendly people, right? Mm. So, wow, that one I will never forget. That was... Uh, my favorite experience after a tattoo, right? Mm-hmm. Usually it's always that uh, you go back backstage and then uh, you get ready to leave, right? You don't really get this interaction, but especially nowadays, right? Especially nowadays, mm-hmm. right? But uh, in Japan, that was that was really amazing. Right. I, right. I loved it. Okay. Yeah. yeah. Cool, cool. So yeah, really nice. And uh, I'm sure there are still uh, lots of more stories for you to tell, but we yeah. have... And, uh, oh my God, one more inter- interesting one. Oh my God, I'm sorry. Uh, yeah, sorry no to problem. Into your time, yeah. Eh? Yeah. I think it's you know this like meeting people and all right mm. there was also once like during the Malmo tattoo right in 2013 we made a lot of friends during the, the backstage rest period lah, right mm. so we made friends we talked about life and all and there was this guy that uh, I took photo with we exchanged gifts we were talking a lot about uh, the military how was his life and then and then in 2014 right when we were at the Edinburgh tattoo mm. I met him again and that was so amazing. And no one expected. I mean, we don't really talk and say like, oh, I'm going for this tattoo, are you? I mean, we... It's not that kind of, you know, regularly contact friend, right? Mm-hmm. So when we actually met in the tattoo, right, it was so amazing to talk about the past, talk about uh, the previous tattoo and, you know, like... And now we started to like uh, keep in contact and ask like, are you going this tattoo? Are you going that tattoo? But then we never meet again right, after right. 2014. Okay. But, but we still keep in touch on Facebook and all. Mm. But that, that's nice. Yeah. yeah, that was a nice experience. I see. Yeah, so but of course, air travel nowadays is a novelty. It's uh, yeah, yeah, exactly. It's, it's such a strange concept now, isn't it? When you want to talk about, oh, yeah, I want to go on a holiday and things like that. <laughs> yeah. What is holiday? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. Holiday is uh, going to Sentosa, maybe, with the family. Yeah. yeah. So, uh, yeah, lots of very interesting stories. And I'm sure, you know, uh, we can go on for hours talking about all your very interesting experiences. Exactly. Yeah, so many this, memories came back. Yeah, in these different countries. Yeah. But uh, we, we have to move on to the next topic now, which is a little bit more about yourself. Uh, why don't you bring us back to how you got acquainted with music and how you've got to this current stage of uh, your career? Wow, this is way back, man. I thought the tattoo was early enough. Okay, now we go way back. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so, so I, like, like I mentioned earlier, I started learning the violin first. That was my first instrument and this was in primary school. <laughs> the mm. funny thing is, uh, I was almost kicked out for failing the test, violin test, three times in a row. And, mm. I, yeah, oh my, I, I, I'm just imagining, you know, if I actually got kicked out for real, that would be the end <laughs> of my music career. But luckily, luckily, my dad helped me to like uh, ask for one chance, and then uh, that chance was so crucial because it really turned around my whole uh, music career, It started Mm. my music career, right? Because I went on to pass that test excellently, and Mm. that started to inculcate the never say die spirit in me, 
which was something that uh, I kept with me until today. Because uh, right. it really taught me to, you know, like, even if you face some difficulties in life, uh, never give up. Mm. Right? So, okay. So, that was primary school, Riley, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. And then, uh, as, as, as you remember, I'm quite tall. Right? I think I'm mm. much taller than you, right? Or are we almost the same? Yeah, I, I mean, sure. Whatever. <laughs> <laughs> no, because, uh, this height, yeah. because uh, this height thing, right? Mm. When I was in secondary school, you know, I I thought, hey, I'm very tall. Uh, maybe I can go and play volleyball, right? Mm. I, I really wanted to play volleyball or sport, sport CCA because I was into soccer, right? Yeah. But there was no soccer, so, hey, volleyball is quite close. Mm-hmm. But because of my height, I was made to uh, change instrument into the double bass, right? So, before secondary school, like, there was this S5 in primary 5, right, that uh, they needed a double basis in the string of zone, mm-hmm. right? And then, because I was I was the tallest kid in the whole on zone, I was made to change the instrument, right? Three or four weeks before the S5. Yeah. And and, and that experience really uh, shocked me a lot, lah, because I was enjoying playing the violin, you know, after all the experience I had in P1, mm. right? I was enjoying, I was playing first violin, you know, playing the nice melodies. <laughs> and yeah. then, because I was tall, mm. I was made to change instrument. Right. And it was, I mean, it was definitely not my preferred choice. Yeah. But because of the never say die spirit in me, right, mm. I continued to give my best. And it was, it was, uh, it turned out well because we got our very first goal for the primary school. And I think the school was really happy and, I was made to look like a hero, la, obviously, <laughs> but obviously not, okay? Obviously not. But I was made to look like because I had to sacrifice, right? I right. played change from violin to bass and then they make a, a huge uh, thing out of it. They were like, oh, thanks to you, we got gold. I was like, okay. Later mm. on, I understood they were just joking. <laughs> <laughs> but you did yeah. take one for the team, to be honest. You did. Yeah, yeah. Definitely, definitely. Yeah. And, and so more, you know, so tall and then you play the ways, but I, I didn't know what I was doing half the time, right? Sure, it was sure. a really crash course over three, four weeks. Mm. So that, that, that was the experience. Yeah. And then, now back to secondary school, I was I was initially wanting to join volleyball, right? As I was saying, because uh, sporty CCA. Mm. But when, when my teacher in charge found out about my music background from primary school, because we had to fill up some kind of form, right? Yeah. Then I was made to swap CCA to the school band, right? Mm. And I was very sad initially la, because, um, I don't know, because I really wanted to do something sporty and after that double-based experience in primary school, I was like, I thought I was done, right? Right, and right. Then, you had enough. That's it. Yeah, I had enough. I had enough. Like yeah. I, I thought, like okay, this is it. Now I can do something else. But no, mm. I was so wrong. After I, after I was made to change CCA, uh, I mean, I, I mean, I, I accepted it lah. There was no choice, right, anymore. So mm. although my playing was like up to standard to a decent level, like, I mean, for a, a simple band concert, right? Mm. Uh, I heard that there was a concert coming up in about two months. That right. was really scary. Because in primary school, the three, four weeks, right, we had to play a really simple piece and the double bass notes were like really easy. Mm. A lot of open string and all. Yeah. But then this one, no, it's a, it's a band concert. Definitely mm. the difficulty is higher and I only had two months, mm. right? It really wasn't easy, but I mean, after a while, uh, I pulled through, right, with all the hard work. Mm. But st- I wasn't really convinced still, but, right. you know, it really takes a lot of uh, effort lah, to play the double bass in secondary school, mm. right? But I was really lucky. You know, I had a, I had a really good tutor. Uh, so that really helped me like uh, ignite my passion. Lah. Okay. And at the end of secondary school, because of all these uh, uh, activities, I got to play with external groups like Phil Wings and some community bands over the years, right? Right. I decided to join NAFA, mm. right? That, that, I made the decision in secondary school. And I was really glad that uh, my dad was very supportive of my decision. Right? Mm. He says, uh, although that is not the most ideal career because he wasn't really sure, right. he, he always uh, believes in allowing me to pursue my dream because if not, I wouldn't even like what I was doing. Uh, right? Yeah, that's true. Yes. But mm. as you know, because I'm in an Indian family, my, my mother was very traditional. Right? Mm. She wasn't very supportive and... She wanted me to pursue a more like established career, you know, like a lawyer, la, engineer, doctor. Mm. And I mean, I don't blame her. Even until today, I don't blame her. But um, 
because of her mindset, right, it actually spurred me further, you know, like, it spurred me more to want to do music because I just wanted to do something else and not this uh, standard established careers, mm. right? Right. And so when I first decided to join NAFA, I had to find so many ways to hide this from her, you know, like, mm. uh, we shall not go into details, <laughs> right? You know, sure. like, I'll be teaching the kids a lot of wrong things. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Right? Yeah, 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 yeah. For sure. So after our O-level results, there was a funky period and I went for NAFA auditions and... It was really a very risky period of my life because uh, if, if I did not do well in the audition, I'll be left without a school. Mm. Right? You basically, so you just really... doubled down your chips on, on NAFA, yes, right? Yes, yeah. like every all in is right. it's like life or nothing, you know? So mm-hmm. uh, I was very thankful that I passed the audition. Like yeah. uh, that, that, that was great. <laughs> and the funny thing, I auditioned as a violinist in case you were wondering, right? Oh, did so you? I actually auditioned as, yes, I auditioned as a violinist. Ah, okay. And and the same thing happened in uh, the primary school, right? Primary school, I was made to change instrument, remember? Right? And then now, in the mm-hmm. NAFA audition, I was also asked, like, uh, you also have a background in double bass. Uh? Uh, we noticed you don't have any cert, uh, but would you like to try? Right? So, the famous question came <laughs> up again during the audition. Right? Would you like right. to try because we got no other double basses? I was okay. like, wow, is this really happening again? Like, just when I yeah. thought like, oh, I passed the audition and then, boom, change the instrument again. Yeah. Right? So, At this point, you must yeah. realize that your fate is sealed, that you have to be with the double bass for the rest of your life. This right? was it. La. This was it. The <laughs> primary school one and the secondary school experience never confirmed anything. But this one right, really right. confirmed it. Okay. Yeah. So, I mean, that, that, that was something that really... Uh, made me think a lot, like, why? Why I cannot just play the violin? Like, when I finally want to play, and then you still make me change instrument, you know? Yeah. <laughs> right, so, that that was one of a, one hell of an experience, lah. Mm. And, and as you know, how it turned out, like, you know, my NAFA career, right? Yeah. Diploma, we, we graduated together. That, that was nice, that was nice, I think, but that really uh, also, <laughs> like, you, like you say, uh, doubled down my interest in the bass. Yeah. Right? Um, mm. I had a really good teacher, Mr. Yachek, from the SSO, mm. and, Great, great um, batch mates. La. I think our batch was really lovely, la, including the the batch mm. before. We had yeah. our ups and downs, but I think on a the whole, there was a lot of learning and nice music making, right? Mm, so that, sure. after it, after that, like after this NAFA diploma, right? Just when we were going to army, mm. I remember we performed, we were invited to do a joint concert with the SAF Central Band. That, that was the concert where we had a guest conductor, Alan McMurray. Ah, okay. Yeah, right. so that that was the that was a really memorable concert and you know what? That concert actually influenced my eventual decision to sign on. Right. Right? So mm. so every the only reason I had for signing on at the start was wow, can work with guests guest uh, conductor and then you know you look at the musicians in the band at that point of time there was like Kenneth Loon, uh, Sebastian, Alan, all these people, you know, mm. and then you were like Wow, the band is so great. And then even my tutor was there. Brandon was uh, playing in the band. I see. Only later on did I find out all of them mm. were actually ICTs. Uh, right? So, uh, of course, I didn't know all this back then. But in my mind, I was like, I want to sign on. This is where I want to be. This is my future. Right? Mm. So, that that really uh, influenced my decision. Uh, and then, as you know what happened, seven years on, eight years on, I'm still here and loving the job. Yeah. Right? Mm. So, I mean... um. That, 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 that was it. La. I mean, that was the start of my career, right? Yeah. To After NAFA, and then I went to the SA band, la, right? Yeah. Mm, mm, yeah. And, you know, of course, after working for a few years, you took some time out to go back to school again. You went to pursue your degree back at NAFA in the joint uh, NAFA RCM program. Uh, was it difficult for you to come to terms with this decision? to go and do more studies at this point because you could have continued working, right? You didn't have to take time off to study. So, you know, what, what was the influence or motivation behind this decision? Yeah, so so as you know, as, as you can tell from the start of the interview, uh, I'm a very family-oriented person and I love children a lot, right? Mm. So, of course, uh, job stability was really important, right? So, um you know, to take this risk and go and study, there was a lot of a lot of things on my mind, right? You know, like yeah. how to put all this together, mm. right? And and even after signing on, I mean, me and my wife back then when we were dating, right? It was about four or five years of being together, right? So 
we wanted to plan far ahead. That's why I signed on in the mm. first place, right? So even when I signed on, we did not stop planning for the future. And that was really important because I was very clear from the start that after signing on, I wanted to come back to finish my degree. So that wasn't something that uh, was like made on the spur of the moment, you know. It was planned. Like even before signing on, I knew that I wanted to come back and do my degree. Right. But, but, but what was important though was how to make it happen, right? And I was... Uh, I was very glad that I didn't have to make uh, huge sacrifices for it to happen because uh, in 2014, when I decided to pursue the studies, right, uh, the SF Bank granted me no pay leave. And what this meant that was I was able to return to my job after graduation. Right. And this really took a lot of burden out of my shoulders, mm. right? Because imagine having to go through the degree program and then thinking about alamat, how to pay for this, how to pay for that. And then... Uh, if I had to leave the job and then study, then I will also have to start to think about uh, when can I find a new job, how to start a family and, and, and so on, right? So I'm, I'm, I'm so glad and thankful that with this no pay leave approval, I didn't have to go through all this. Right. 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 So, so that, was, that was amazing. Mm. And when I went to study, right, uh, some of my NAFA lecturers were very septic, skeptical that I had to miss time in school because... We were currently in the Edinburgh military tattoo, right? That I mm. shared with you earlier. And that yeah. overlapped with the start of my studies, right? Mm. And then the Dean of Music, the very famous uh, Mr. Lim Yao, right. wanted to give me a test right after our return from Edinburgh. So we came back August 30th, right? And then mm. we there was a concert schedule in school uh, in the first week, I think September 5th or 6th. So he, he said, for you to be part of this concert and... To a certain extent, he implied that it's a must for me to be a part of the concert. He said mm-hmm. you had to pass this test the moment you return, right? And mm. I was so stressed. We returned that night and then the next day is audition. I had to prepare Beethoven 5. Excellent. And right. well, I tell you, after one and a half month away, we were we were in Basel and Edinburgh like continuously for one and a half months. There mm. was literally no chance to practice on the bass. So mm-hmm. I was playing the cymbals and bass drum in the tattoos, right? So I was so nervous. I had one night. The only good news is the excerpt I actually played before. But I the see. bad news is I haven't been practicing for one and a half month, right? So that, that one day was really, wow, nightmare. It was nightmare, <laughs> right? But okay. I, I'm glad I did well in the end, right? Mm. And then I got to participate in the concert. And eventually, after two years, I graduated with a first-class honours, right? Mm. So... I really enjoyed the course and some of the modules that I take actually helped me to contribute immediately in my secondary appointments that I shared with you earlier, right? So I did a outreach module, which helped me in my events manager role. And it worked both ways. Uh. Some of the experience that I had as an events manager helped me with this outreach module. Mm. And some of the things that I learned from the outcome of this actually helped me in my work as an events manager when I went back. Mm. So it was, it was great. I also did the instrumental and voice teaching module, which helped me in my instructor role in, yeah. uh, in the BMMC that I shared with you earlier. So all this like really uh, strengthened me as a person, as a musician, and also in my roles in the SAF. So to sum it up, the SAF band helped me to provide a stable career, mm. and I managed to finish my studies uh, well, you know, uh, with good results. And now I'm back to doing what I love, in a stronger capacity, nice. right? more equipped, and yeah, it makes my work even more fulfilling. Mm. Yeah, I think, you know, as musicians, sometimes uh, we count ourselves lucky to be pursuing uh, music as a career, you know, because yes. uh, a lot of times there could be people who have uh, started or completed their education in music, but uh, because of different circumstances in their life, they might choose to not go get into this career of, yeah. um, you know, being a practitioner. Uh, yeah. Which, of course, there's absolutely, absolutely nothing wrong with that. But yeah, if we can make a living out of something that we we love and then we have interest in, uh, I think that's a that's a great thing and it's a good feeling, isn't it? For sure. So, um, you know, you mentioned also something about your interest in education and teaching younger students, younger generations, uh, particularly the double bassist. 
uh, young double yeah. bases in Singapore. So uh, what do you think uh, some of the, the common struggles that uh, student bases would face in a school band? And yeah, I mean, I, I believe you must have quite a bit of experience in that. Yes. So as you know, the string bass is a really tough instrument to learn. Um, especially if one doesn't have a professional tutor, which uh, most bassists in band nowadays, uh, if they actually have one, is a luxury. La, right? Mm. I was incredibly fortunate to have a tutor, uh, Brandon, like I shared with you oh. earlier, during my school band days. La. And yeah. the funny thing is, back then, he was actually a professional musician in the SAF Central Band, and we played in that concert together just before I decided to sign on. Right, ah, so okay, yeah, that actually planted the seed in me. That probably lah, you know, planted the seed in me early on to sign on. I don't mm. know if he actually did, but I, I don't know, man. Maybe yeah, yeah. he actually did. Yeah, okay. You know, so so some of the struggles would be, um, okay. So the lack of tutor is one for sure, as I mentioned, and and also there are things like you know getting the right parts, uh, having seniors to help them out, and also even uh conductors that can help them in their band journey. Mm. As a professional, uh, what advice would you give? Let's say if a student has uh, not so much resources in their school to, uh, to have the tutor or to have uh, knowledge or information about the double bass, what sort of resources could they look up? Are there like things like good YouTube videos or like, you know, what, what would you suggest them do? Okay, so, so for this kind of like uh, students that don't really have tutors, right, um, I, would, I would actually suggest for them to uh, ask their conductors for help. That, that is the first step because if they don't voice out their concerns, it's very hard, to, very hard for the conductors to identify or actually you know, even like uh, find help for them quick enough. Right? Mm. So once you voice out to the conductors, I would also like to reach out to the conductors to share with them. Like, you know, like, there are many materials out there like etude books. There's this... Uh, uh, Bottesini etude book out there that's really good there's essential elements yeah. right and if you get the right uh, book the string based book it's, it, it has a really good step by step guide and of course uh, lastly for, for beginners right mm. uh, the string bass is not a re- not really a melodious instrument where you continuously play melody correct mm. so it's very important to double down on fundamentals and to do that is to really practice your skills Mm. right so all my students uh, whoever have been taught by me right the the, the we spend a really long time going through skills and sometimes it gets boring right. but it's really important because it, it serves a very important purpose some instruments you can jump to mm. melodies quite quickly you know like you can even play like uh what what's that called some easy what's that uh, uh, uh like three blind mice or twinkle twinkle little star or you know all these easy melodies like Lero and so on but for the double bass, you don't really need to do that, right? Because mm. by playing those melodies, you don't really train a lot of stuff. But what actually helps you is scales, arpeggios, long notes to really uh, train your finger strength, right? Finger right. strength training is so important because the strings are so thick. I, I don't know if you, you have felt one before, but yeah. it's really thick and hard to press, right? Mm. And... So for young kids like 13 years old, especially if they are not so tall and they need a long time to train up their fingers, right? The only way to do it is skills. Because yeah. if you play long long tones, uh, like like uh, wind instrument, you play long tones, right? Double mm. bass also, we can play long notes. And this yeah. will force you to really train your finger strength. Lah. So, yeah. so build up yeah, the necessary really, muscles to operate yes. the instrument. Right. Yes, correct. Mm. So don't don't worry about playing parts accurately at the start if you are set one, right? Really mm. build up your fundamentals. There will be there will be a period of time where you don't sound very nice, but mm. it's fine. It's all fine if you are consciously working to build up your finger strength, and then you will sound great. Don't worry. Mm. Yeah. So also, you know, in terms of like wind band repertoire. Uh, I have I came from a secondary school band that had the luxury of double bass. So uh, and because of that, I realized that sometimes there are or <laughs> actually not sometimes, but most of the time there is not a proper written out double bass part for the double bass section. So I think this uh, 
may, maybe it might create some problem, maybe it might not. So you end up just reading like maybe tuba parts and, and things like that. So what are your thoughts about um, uh, conductors having to deal with these situations or bands having to deal with these situations whereby there's not really a outright uh, string-based part? Do we just, uh, or can they just read like tu- uh, tuba parts? Is that fine? I mean, I have totally no issues doubling the tuba parts. There, there, are, there are many pros that, that come with it. And of course, uh, some things not so good, but just by focusing on the good things, right? I think, it, I think it's good enough. For example, for young bassists, <laughs> the straightforward thing is when you play the tuba part mm. and there are seniors in the tuba section that play really well, you can listen to them during your full band, right? You can listen out, uh, like, where are they? If you get lost, there's always someone to listen out to. That, that, is, that is the biggest pro, right? Mm. And also, uh, after some experience in the SM band where we play marches where there's not a lot of string-based parts written out, right? It, I realized it's actually very difficult to play the tuba parts well with all the right articulation, right? Mm. I mean, as a string player, sometimes uh, we, we get away with things like uh, just play short, just play long. Right? We don't really do all the different yeah. articulation marks like accent, staccato, tenuto, macato. Right? And wind mm. players are really high on that. So just by following the score, learn, uh, reading the notes accurately, and it's difficult because it's one octave lower written out. Right? So you have to learn how to read below the staff, which is not easy. And then mm. to play right with all the right articulation, that is a huge challenge. So although it's, it might be boring to double, but the, the education aspect that comes with playing the tuba part is, is okay. I think it's, it's beneficial long term, right? Mm. And of course, you, you, you pray that you don't have to always play tuba parts. Lah. But yeah. if you really have to, find the benefits of doing so, right? Mm. And of course, some of the bases as they go into set 3, set 4, maybe even J1, J2, right? I still consider mm. them young. They can yeah. challenge themselves by instead of playing the tuba part, they ask for the bassoon part. Right? Mm. That is a whole new world. Because sometimes yeah. the bassoon actually play a lot of melodies, a lot of counter melodies, which is not easy. Sometimes mm. the counter melody is tougher than the melodies, right? So yeah. that's a that's a challenge for yourself. Like don't underestimate playing another instrument part. Right? Mm. As much as it's nice to have your own part, uh, if you don't find some uh, benefits from playing other parts and learn. Never stop learning. Mm. Yeah. So uh, yeah. when it comes to uh, writing for the double bass. Let's say if uh, a younger bassist ha- don't have so much experience in, you know, having a lot of access to to these pieces. What are some of the examples that has composers writing pretty good parts for uh, double bass that is idiomatic and it makes sense and it really makes use of the instrument very well. Yeah. So, so at, just now I mentioned that, uh, you know, it's fine to play the tuba part, right? But of course, all bassists love to play pieces, right? Where the composer show a clear distinction between the tuba and string bass part. Mm. Because if not, we sometimes feel like, hey, there's no point in having us. We need to feel wanted and, you know, it's, it's the same like human beings, right? Sometimes yeah. we, we need the, to feel uh, loved and all, right? Mm. So some composers that do it really well... Um, include like Bert Eppelmon, Noah's Ark. It's one of my favorite uh, composers because Noah's Ark, the excerpt for string bass is so nice. And it's very well written out. It's very idiomatic. It's, it's comfortable on the hand. It sounds difficult. Of course, it's not that easy. It sounds difficult, but uh, it's, it's a nice excerpt to practice. And when the string bass is playing, right, the tuba is not playing. That makes it even more special. Mm. And... I, I love it. Like we, we, we have places that we accompany the oboe. We have places that we are just giving a rhythmic function. We're serving as a rhythmic function and tuba is not playing. So we really can feel important in his piece. Right? Yeah. And then yeah. another example is uh, James Jose, right? Uh, Persis Overture. Mm. Right? That, that, yeah. that is one that uh, has a really nice oboe melody in the middle. But with no tuba accompaniment. So that's the best. And then there's a very nice string-based pizzicato part in the middle. And then, mm. and so, in this quiet moment, he only used like uh, some accompaniment instrument, the nice oboe melody, and then string-based. So I, I really love this writing. Like, there, there's a clear difference. 
And then all the mm. loud parts and everything, I don't care if it's double. Right, right. right. And then, mm. yeah, and then it's all good. And mm. of course, uh, the last one that I want to shout out is our local composer, uh, Benjamin Yeo, who was mm-hmm. actually a former SAF bandsman also, current mm-hmm. uh, NSman, right? Yeah. So he also, I mean, he's slightly different from the above two mentioned, right? So he composes a lot of march and all, but he always makes the effort to include at least two or four bars of only string based part in his piece, right? So right. I appreciate the effort. And you also can check out recording of our SAF band recent recording of Benji's work, uh, City of Dreams. And you can mm. listen, try to catch the string bass part in the middle of the third movement. It's only string bass, no tuba. So right, that's right. quite nice. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, I think yeah. what cannot be understated is that the tuba and the bass are two separate instruments. Yeah. Uh, they cannot be further apart except for perhaps playing around the same tessitura. Uh, <laughs> really, like, I think it's a, it, it's a <laughs> little bit overboard when conductors start to identify these two instruments as the same, they cannot be any more different. I believe you feel, yes. feel the I, same I way. <laughs> I definitely feel the same way. Sometimes, yeah. you know, I, I even go to the extent of uh, hoping or ex- expecting the conductor in front, whoever it may be, mm. to actually cue the double bass for a pit or even yeah. a part that is alone and mm. not expect us to come in with the two bars. Right? Yeah. I, I think it's different. Yeah, yeah. for sure. Definitely. Yeah, and now let's go full circle now, right? Let's go back to the statement that I made in the introduction, right? This idea that the double bass is, you know, uh, needs to be felt and not heard. Uh, have you been on the receiving end of this statement? And can you elaborate more about this concept? Is it just like a saying, a more philosophical thing and not really like a, a feasible uh, concept? Or is, can this actually be done? Mm, I mean, I will agree that, you know, uh, it should be felt and not heard. But it's also very important to realize that if they don't understand, if the bassists don't understand how to be heard or have the technique to be heard, then I think it's very hard to be felt. Mm. <laughs> so, so it's like, a, it's very ironic, right? But I always feel that you need to have a good technique or uh, to achieve some nice level of volume or uh, standard of playing in terms of a tone and all for you to be able to adjust into uh, being felt because being felt yeah. is really not as easy as it sounds like right sometimes being felt mm. uh, people will think like oh I just need to uh, feel the boom sound right or some kind of a yeah. resonance or sound some r- rumbling and rumbling yeah, yeah exactly yeah. exactly. but it's not so easy to do it when you don't have the right technique to do it right mm-hmm. yeah yeah so I always go with the you know you you must be able to play loud first and I think if you remember from our days in Nafa uh, I took great pride in playing louder than the tubas uh, right in, yeah, in yeah. our wind band I, I'm mm. sure you remember those days uh. yeah like, our, sure. our good friend Xiang Hong always beside <laughs> me uh. yeah definitely definitely uh, yeah cool you know and I think these are all uh, very good points and yeah it's a uh, it, it's a it's a tricky um environment or a tricky situation for student bases i think because i i guess if you if there exists a double bass section uh you are on the extreme end either you are being cared for very well that means uh maybe no sections have a tutor and you have a tutor or yes you or other sections have a tutor and you don't have a tutor and then that is yeah, yeah sometimes becomes, it really depends on what the wants yeah definitely yeah. And I think what budget allows for. Yeah, yeah. But it's a it's a strange thing, right? That you you have the instrument, then in a way you have to uh in, invest in the, the proper um resources guidance. and the proper guidance for the yeah. student, right? Which is more important. Yeah. Cool. Now, yeah. final question for you, right? Let's look back to you know the days of uh us knowing each other. Right since we you started uh, studying music, are there any things that you want to go back and change or tell yourself? I mean, of course, uh, we were all once young and naive, right? Uh, but I believe we have all matured from those days. Uh, there are many things that I could have done better, lah, right? Or I could have improved myself earlier. You know, uh, get more help earlier. Uh, especially in terms of communicating, I believe that might be one thing that I I wish was much better. 
Uh, I used to be able to shoot my mouth off quite easily. But of course, that has changed with all the uh, experience that I've had in the SF band and also, you know, going through the degree studies and even raising a family. You know, communication mm. is so important, right? Mm. Yeah. Um, I also want to say, I mean, to, to all the young kids out there, it's fine to speak your mind. You know, uh, honesty is a virtue if you're, if you're telling the truth. And I've chosen to live by it. Uh, mm. But because of this honesty, right? Uh, like I mentioned, you know, sometimes I'm, I'm quite blunt in my interaction with people. Lah. Yeah. Mm. And always seek to improve yourself, uh, accept criticism. And, and I think I did that quite well. Uh, there was a lot of people around that was uh, willing to help and give advice. Of course, it, it, it took me a while longer, a bit longer. But mm. in the end, I believe, you know, it's always worth it to improve and use your strengths well, right? Mm. Honesty is a good thing. Being able to communicate is a good thing. But how you communicate and how you share your honesty is very important. So it's, a, it's also another set of skills. So yeah, no, and, I'm, and I want to take this opportunity to uh, shout out to my wife. Lah, right? She mm. is someone that really changed me as a person since we started dating about 11 years ago. Right? So all this that I mentioned, she has seen the change in me from day one until now. Right? right. And is someone that is really honest also, but really tactful at the same time. So mm. she, she had uh, means and ways, you know, to share with me over the years, you know, like, hey, I think this one can be better, this one can be better. Sometimes mm. I don't take it immediately until someone else tells me. Right, so I wish I actually listened <laughs> it's, to her yeah, <laughs> yeah, it's normal. It's always like that, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. We, yes. we cast, that, cast that doubt first. Yeah, yeah. Yes, I always yeah. like, ah, really, man? No lah. I think it's okay <laughs> la. Until someone outside tell me the same thing, then I'll be like, okay, okay uh, you, uh, you are right, you are right, you win. Yeah, <laughs> uh, yeah I said that once again, the wife is right. Once again, yes. yeah, I was always. being stupid to not follow what she exactly. said. <laughs> That's yeah, why I tell you, all you guys out there, are very important <laughs> to find the right woman for your life partner. Right? Yeah. And she will be your pillar of strength forever. Mm, yeah. yeah. Fantastic advice indeed. Look, uh, Sanjay, it's been absolute joy talking to you. Uh, you know, we've crossed the hour mark now and it's time for us to wrap this Excellent. conversation up. Uh, thank you so time much. Time flies. Yeah, it's indeed. already an hour. Yeah, indeed. Time flies. And thank you so much for coming on to the show to speak to me. Uh, I hope we had a great time. I hope uh, the que- uh, the questions and the interactions has been fine. Um, <laughs> yeah, and I look forward to uh, more of your personal and career developments uh, in the in the future. And uh, definitely, yes. yeah, especially and, and your family your, development. <laughs> a- exactly, exactly that. Yeah, the the new member of the family that yes. is yeah due uh, soon. So uh, thank you so much once again, Sanjay, for taking time out to do this. I really, really appreciate it. My pleasure. Yeah. So for all of you listening, thank you for staying with us throughout this episode. And most importantly, thank you for your attention. It is much appreciated. And with that, we will sign off on this episode of You Play or What. You have been listening to You Play or What, hosted by Vincent Tan. If you enjoyed this episode, please hit the subscribe button so that you'll be notified when a new episode is posted. Rate and review the podcast and share it with your friends if you feel so inclined. The theme music for the podcast is entitled Midnight Affairs and is composed by Algirdas Matonis and recorded by Vincent Tan. Thank you so much for listening to You Play or What? Until next time. Thank you.